Good morning, Christ Community Church. Hope that your Sunday is off to a great start. Uh, hope you're enjoying your holiday weekend wherever you are. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our series entitled Come Holy Spirit today. Um, if you've been with us, you know that over the past few weeks, we've been in the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and we've been looking at what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes in power on the people of Jesus and sends us out to advance the kingdom of Jesus in his world. Now, now, let me ask you something before we get into our text today. What comes to your mind when you think of the power of God? What do you envision when you think of a powerful move of God's Spirit? Maybe you think of miracles and signs and wonders, blind people seeing for the first time, sick people being healed, people standing up out of wheelchairs and running and jumping and praising God. Maybe you think of a preacher preaching the gospel to a stadium full of people. In the 1950s, Billy Graham preached a series of messages at Yankee Stadium, and so many people came to faith in Christ that there wasn't even room at the altar for all of them to come forward. So so maybe that's what you think about. Maybe you think about a feeling you get during a worship gathering, or, or maybe a sense of God's presence with you during your early morning prayer time. And all of those things can be evidence of a move of God's Spirit. Those are all things that the Spirit does from time to time. But in our passage today, we're going to see one of the most powerful and one of the most overlooked evidences of the Spirit's work in the followers of Jesus. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit produces radical generosity. That one of the primary marks of the power and the presence of Jesus is people who live radically generous lives toward those in need. Let's look at our passage today, Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, remember where we are in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has been moving powerfully through the church. They've been preaching sermons, healing people. Thousands of people are turning from their sin and turning to Jesus and becoming part of the church. And then the church begins to experience persecution. The apostles Peter and John are thrown into prison and threatened by the authorities. And then, as we saw last week, the church prays this magnificent prayer where they cry out for God to give them boldness to preach the word and power to demonstrate the word. And God shows up. And the Spirit of God shakes the place where they're gathered and empowers them to continue to preach the word of God boldly and powerfully. And this, what we're looking at today, is the result. This is the kind of community that the power of the Spirit creates. This is what it looks like when the Spirit moves in power. We're going to see three things that the Spirit produces in this passage. And all three of these things work together to make us radically generous people. We're going to see that the Spirit produces radical unity. He produces radical power. And he produces radical grace. 
Radical unity, radical power, radical grace. First, the Spirit produces radical unity. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. I love that language there. They were of one heart. They loved the same thing. They longed for the same thing. Now, that doesn't mean that they were exactly alike or that they agreed on everything. In in the early church, you had people of all sorts of different backgrounds. You had wealthy, powerful elites, and you had manual day laborers and and indentured servants. You, You had apostles like Matthew, the tax collector, who had worked for the Roman Empire, and you had apostles like Simon the Zealot, who had actually tried to overthrow the empire. You had people from all over the spectrum, from every conceivable background, but they had one heart. They were united in their love for Jesus and in Jesus' love for them. And it says they had one soul. Now, the word soul can also be translated life. They shared a common life together, even though they came from radically different places. See, unity is not the same thing as uniformity. We don't have to all like the same things or see everything the same way. What unites us is not our background or our interests or our education or our ethnicity or our politics. What unites us is Jesus. The fact that he is the one who we love with our whole heart and he is our whole life. Personally, I am so grateful for the way the Lord has preserved our unity at CCC over the past year, a year when there has been so much hostility and vitriol in our society and even in some churches. And I praise God that even though we can disagree on a lot of things, the Spirit has united us in our love for Jesus and the life that we have in Him. They had one heart and one soul. They shared the same love and the same life. And so it only made sense that they would share their possessions. Look at verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. See, radical unity produces radical generosity. When you already share your heart and your soul with someone, sharing your possessions just isn't that big of a deal. Now, this is really important to understand when we talk about generosity. Because generosity is not first and foremost about giving your money. Generosity is first and foremost about giving yourself. We give ourselves to God and we give ourselves to one another. Sometimes the way that we talk about money or generosity in the church induces this sense of guilt or shame. Some of us feel shame because we don't have a lot of money. Some of us feel shame because we do have a lot of money. Some of us feel shame because we can't give a lot. Some of us feel shame because we can give a lot. But shame is not the biblical motivation for generosity here. The truth is that the Lord has blessed some of us with more financial resources than others. And a wealthy person isn't more important than a poor person. The person who writes the big check isn't more important than the person who can just give a little change. The question is not, how much do you give? The question is, how much of yourself do you give? Are we willing to give our heart and our soul to Jesus and his people? And then the question of money flows out of that. Verse 32 says that all of the believers were of one heart and one soul. All of them, the rich and the poor. 
The rich didn't consider themselves more important than the poor. The poor didn't consider themselves more important than the rich. They were united in Christ. And that radical unity produced radical generosity. All throughout the New Testament, the church is called the body of Christ, right? Jesus is the head of the church. We're all parts of his body. Now that is radical unity. And let's say I'm planning to walk outside and my feet need some shoes. My hands don't say, well, sorry, feet. Good luck with that. You're going to have to figure that out on your own. No, my hands pick up the shoes and put the shoes on my feet. The body works together to meet the needs of each member. That's what we're talking about here. Where one part of the body struggles, the whole body struggles. Where one part of the body has a need, the whole body has a need. And if the hand has the opportunity to meet the needs of the foot, the hand meets the need. If the foot has the opportunity to meet the needs of the hand, the foot literally or metaphorically jumps at the chance to meet that need. Every true move of the Spirit produces radical unity. And radical unity produces radical generosity. So the first thing we see is that the Spirit produced radical unity. The second thing we see is that the Spirit produces radical power. Radical power. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, this is really interesting because this passage is primarily about the radical generosity that the Spirit produced in the early church. And right here in the middle is this verse about how the apostles were testifying with power. See, the two go together. Word and deed, preaching and giving. When the Spirit moves in power, he makes us a people who boldly proclaim the gospel and who generously live out the gospel. Sometimes in our lives and and sometimes in our churches, we have this tendency to emphasize one of those to the exclusion of the other. Some churches emphasize the word. We, We love sound doctrine. We love teaching and preaching of God's word, and that's good. But the thing is, we don't always do what the word tells us to do. We don't always sacrificially give to those in need. On the other hand, some churches and some people emphasize deed to the exclusion of word. It becomes all about physical needs. And and listen, it is not a bad thing to meet people's physical needs. It's a good thing. It's a thing that the Bible commands us to do. But if we only seek to meet their physical needs, then we leave them hopeless when it comes to their deepest need. If all we do is give them a physical meal, then we have ignored their need for the bread of life. It can't be either or. It's got to be both and, word and deed, gospel proclamation and radical generosity. And that's something that only the Spirit of God can produce. The radical power of the Spirit emboldened them to preach boldly and to give generously. See, honestly, it takes courage to do both of those things. It takes courage to preach the gospel boldly in the face of opposition. And it also takes courage to give generously. You know this if you've ever given sacrificially. Giving your money away is one of the scariest things you can do. If you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus talked more about money than almost any other topic. And there's a reason for that. It's because money is a powerful idol. We are constantly tempted to put our hope and our faith in money. But the job of the Holy Spirit is to tear down our idols and to teach us to place our faith in Jesus alone. 
And one of the tangible ways that he does that is by changing the way that we relate to money so that our hope and our confidence is no longer in our money. It's in Christ. We stop trusting the things that we own and we start trusting in the one who owns us. And that frees us to open up our hands and to give generously to our brothers and sisters in need. Generosity is one of the tangible ways that we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. The Spirit filled them with radical power, radical power to preach boldly and radical power to give generously. And finally, the Spirit fills us with radical grace. Radical grace. Again, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They experienced the radical grace of God in Christ. The Spirit poured out grace on them. But then then look what it produced. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They received the radical grace of God, and then they extended that grace in tangible ways to other people. See, God's grace makes us generous. Radical grace produces radical generosity. God doesn't just want to pour out his grace on us. He wants to pour out his grace through us. He wants to make us conduits of his grace through whom he pours out his grace on others. Now, we need to to look carefully at what's happening in this passage because there are two ditches that we can fall into here. We can try to make this text say more than it says, or we can try to make this text say less than it says. Some people try to make this text say more than it says. They, they treat it as kind of a blueprint for society. They, they, they see what's happening in the early church. They're selling their possessions. They're giving to the poor. And some people have used this text to support a vision for some kind of communist society where there's, there's no private property. But that's, that's not what you see here. See, what's so powerful about what's happening in the early church is that it was entirely voluntary. No one told them to do it. No one was taxing them. No one was even shaming them into giving to the poor. They just did it. They voluntarily chose to sell their possessions to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what made it so radical. The radical unity and the radical power and the radical grace that they had experienced caused them to overflow in radical generosity. So so one ditch is to make this text say more than it says. But the other ditch, and I I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, probably the ditch that most of us fall into is the ditch of trying to make this text say less than it says. We try to ignore it. We try to explain it away. We look for ways to get around it. We try to say, well, that was something for them back then, but that doesn't translate to our world today. But friends, there's no way of getting around it. This is the pattern you see all throughout the Bible and you see all throughout the history of the church. A church filled with the Holy Spirit is a church characterized by radical generosity. A follower of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit is a follower of Jesus characterized by radical generosity. Because we are people who have experienced the radical generosity of God. And that makes us people who extend the radical generosity of God to others. We were utterly spiritually bankrupt, penniless beggars crushed under our crippling spiritual debt. 
And God didn't say, good luck with that. You'll figure it out. He didn't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We didn't have any bootstraps. And even if we did, we wouldn't have had the ability to pull ourselves up. We were utterly helpless, crushed under our crippling spiritual debt of our sin. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, poured out his radical grace on us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus took our poverty so that he could give us his riches. And so my first prayer for you today is that you would receive the radical grace of God, that you would admit your spiritual poverty, your hopelessness apart from Christ, your inability to save yourself and pay your own debt and that you would open up your hands and that you would receive the riches of the forgiveness and mercy and life that Jesus died to give you. And secondly, my prayer is that we would be so amazed by God's radical grace that it would overflow in radical generosity to others. That as we open our hands to receive the radical grace of God, we would also open our hands to extend radical generosity toward others. Not out of guilt, not out of shame, but as conduits of the grace of God. God has poured out his grace on us, and he wants to pour out his grace through us as we proclaim his gospel and sacrificially give to those in need. That's what a life filled with the power and the presence of Jesus looks like. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in us. He makes us people of radical unity and radical power, and radical grace that overflow into radically generous lives. Let's pray and ask for his help in that. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, and that 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 would produce radical unity, and radical power, and radical grace, and we pray that we would be so amazed by your grace that we would extend that grace and that generosity to others. We thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we by his poverty might be made rich. So so help us to live by that grace, help us to rejoice in that grace and receive that grace, and then help us to extend that grace and that generosity to others. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Our key verse this week is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might be made rich. So let's take that, let's, let's rejoice in that this week, and let's extend that to others. Hey again, thanks so much for being with us. Um, let's receive our benediction as we're sent out. Let's live these radically generous lives that the, the scriptures talk about. This comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Peace be with you. Have a great week.